Good morning, everyone. Uh, Stephen said, I'm Joe. It's good to be here. Anyone from London in the building? Yes. Front row crew. I'm from South East London, a place called Lewisham. Go to the mighty King's Church London. Um, it's a good place. I'm excited to be here. I'm going to be with you all four mornings over the next few days. And so you'll get to know me a little bit. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And we're going to be looking at a story together. But before I do anything, uh, I want to ask a quick question. I didn't have anyone who knows. There should be a photo on the screen who this man is. We'll see if he, if he comes up. Okay. Anyone know who Kevin Hart is? Yeah? That's enough. So Kevin Hart is a, a famous comedian. He's very funny. I did have a photo of him, but he's not a pig. Now, I've got a video. Now, I really hope this video is going to work. Otherwise, that's going to really throw me. Um, but there's a video of Kevin Hart. My youth have seen this. I showed it to him when I spoke a little while ago. But I found the video of Kevin Hart on, um, on a roller coaster. It's quite funny. Apparently, he's pretty scared. And so I thought it would be good fun just to watch that video together. So I'm hoping... That, that video is going to roll. If not, somebody should probably let me know. Let me get it. Let me get it. Here we go. Here we go. So what? Are you, are you serious right yeah, now? I'm serious. You're good. I'm not. I'm a grown man. Right. All right. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. straightforward. You be about it. No, no, no. Push it further. Lock it. Push it as far as you can go. Wait. Let's go. Oh, my God. Wait. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Kevin Hart, I think he's very funny. Who else is scared of roller coasters? Who loves roller coasters? Make some noise. Yes, good. I love roller coasters. Now, the reason I've shown you that video is because the next four mornings, we're going to be looking at a story. 
And the story we're going to be looking at is a little bit like a roller coaster. There's some real highs in it, some real lows. It moves pretty fast. There's lots of things going on. And it feels a little bit at times like the characters in the story are on a little bit of a roller coaster. And so we're going to be looking at a story from the Bible uh, in the Old Testament. The Bible's divided into two halves. We've got the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Old Testament is basically before Jesus and the New Testament is after Jesus. And we're going to be looking at a small story in the Old Testament called Ruth. Has anyone heard of the story of Ruth before? In fact, is anybody called Ruth? Stand up if you're called Ruth. Well, give me a round of applause. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Take a seat. Take a seat. This is a, a small story in the Bible, and we're going to look at that each morning, and we're going to see what can we learn about God through this story. And so I'm excited. Uh, you'll know the story very well by the end. And so before we jump in, I've a, a friend of mine has read the story to us, and we're going to listen to the first part of our story. The text should appear on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can open it to the book of Ruth, and we'll listen to it there. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the name of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other named Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and husband. What an upbeat story to start the first day of the 12 to 14s. Don't worry, you might be thinking, what on earth is going on? It's a little bit of a depressing story. It does get better as time goes on, okay? It does get better. But just a, a quick summary. This story is written a thousand years before Jesus. So that's about 3,000 years ago this story is written. And it takes place in a place called Bethlehem. Most of us know about Bethlehem, don't we? Because of the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, they go obviously to Bethlehem to have Jesus. And Bethlehem at this time was a place where God's people used to dwell. So now we've got lots of churches, we know that, from lots of different places all over the world. In this time, God had one particular set of people, and they were in one place, and they used to dwell in Bethlehem. So we've got a family in Bethlehem, okay? Now the family that we're introduced to, the husband is called Elimelech, the wife is Naomi, and they've got two sons. Now the problem with Bethlehem at this time, there was a famine that swept across the land. There was no food anywhere. So they decided, right, we're going to move to a place called Moab. Now, a few comments on Moab. There's a picture, actually, of the route they went. Who likes long car journeys? Anyone? You're weird. Um, you shouldn't like long car journeys. You all moan, how long is it going to be? This journey, okay, you can see it on the map, the red route, would have taken seven to ten days walking, okay, to move there. So feel sorry for them two young boys. And Moab was a place that people didn't want to go to. It was like one of those places, a little bit dirty. No one really liked Moabites. No one wanted to live in Moab. You didn't want to go there. There was dirty things. It's a little bit like Brighton, yeah? A little bit like Brighton. Um, a little bit like Brighton. So uh, no one... So I had to get Stephen and his team back because they were cussing Lewisham yesterday. So um, it's not really like Brighton. But Moab is a place where you don't want to go. So they've moved to Moab, which is a little bit of a strange thing. 
And the two boys, they do okay. They must have been, maybe they had a little bit of game. Maybe they were sweet talkers because they find themselves two wives pretty quickly, even though they're from a different end. They're not from that area. They find themselves two wives and they get themselves married. Now, over the next few years, Naomi's life goes from bad to worse. Her husband dies. He's very sad. And next thing you know, her two sons die. Okay, it was, the way I would describe it, it was very peak. Okay? Who knows what the word peak means? I'm not talking about top of a mountain. All the people in London know what the word peak means. I'm going to explain to you what the word peak means. I've got to teach you a little bit of London lingo while you're here at New Day. Now, you know when you get in a situation, maybe one of your friends, um, you go back to your tent. It was raining last night. Who went back to their tent and there was water inside maybe their tent? You know them times when you go back and the fresh pair of trainers that you brought to New Day to try and impress your mates, they're soaking wet, there's mud on them. You would say, right, that is peak. That's peak times. Or, or you've called up your friend, it's the summer holidays, and you're saying, listen, let's go to the cinema. I will, you know, we're going to see a new film. You call him up, do you want to come to the cinema? He says, no, nah, listen, man, my mum's my got me under, I'm grounded, in it? You'd say, ah, oh, that's peak. That's peak. Yeah, so that, that's what peak means. It just means it's a little bit peak. And I think there's examples, okay, there's examples. You can use that phrase if you don't already use it. I'm sure those from London use it already. Now, I think we can agree, the start of our story I mean, peak is, is, it is mad peak. It is so peak for Naomi at this time now. The time the book was written, all of the men have died. And in that time, it was dangerous for women to be out on their own, um, to be without men. Men in those times provided sort of security, money, land, and status. And so without any men around, it was a little bit peak for these women. I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to say, that's peak. Okay, that's peak. And if something happens this week, if something happens this week where you think it deserves it, you can just say to them, you know what, that's peak or peak times, whatever you want to say. Now, before we move on, let's hear the next section of our story and then we're going to see really what we can learn from that next section. So let's listen again uh, to our story. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you are showing kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant you that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Okay. So Naomi, the mother in our story, has decided, Bethlehem is obviously no good for me. My husband's died. My two sons have died. This isn't even my area. I'm going to move back to Bethlehem. Yeah, the famine, she's heard maybe it's ended. She's going to move back to uh, Bethlehem from Moab, where she wants to be. Can you imagine how Naomi must be feeling right now? I want you to imagine how she must be feeling. She must be thinking, what on earth is going on? Everyone in my life has died. Everyone. You know, in the Bible, you heard her say this. She actually says that 
I'm going to go back because I am bitter because it feels like the Lord's hand has gone out against me. It literally feels like God is against me. That's how bad my life is right now. I, I don't even want to be known as Naomi. I want to be called Mara, which means bitter. She doesn't even want to be known as Naomi anymore. Her life is that bad. And you could be there thinking, and when I first read this story, sometimes I think, God, why on earth did you put this in the Bible? This story, it all seems to go wrong. Uh, it's not a very nice story. What can we learn from it? And the more you read it, there's one thing that I want you to take away from today. If you remember one thing from this message, if you take away one thing with you, it's this, okay? God has a plan. God has a plan. We don't always see it. We can't always understand it. We don't always know how it's working out. We sometimes are a little bit confused about, really, is this your plan? But I can promise you this, and the Bible will promise you this, and you will see it in our own story that God most definitely has a plan. Not just for Ruth and Naomi in their story, but for every single individual that sat here this morning, God has a plan. And we will see that in a moment. But before we do that, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about Disney. Make some noise if you like Disney films. Nah, there's a, there's a few wannabe Roman out there that are like, nah, man, I don't do Disney. Don't lie. I know you like Disney films. I know you boys that are trying to pretend you don't. Everyone's grown up watching Disney, yeah? I used to love Disney. Uh, we all love Disney films. We've all seen them. I'm going to put some films uh, on the screen, and I want you to make some noise if you've seen that film. So we'll have our first film, and you can tell me if you've seen it. Okay, my man Aladdin. Yes. Okay, next one. Big up the big man Mufasa there. Simba just stamping it out. Okay. The last one, this one's for... Yeah, okay. There's a few guys there that are like, no, no, no. I know you've all seen Frozen and I know you know the lyrics as well. Okay. We love Disney films. I love Disney films. But there's one problem with Disney films. The problem with the Disney films, as great as they are, is they teach us something from when we're young to right to we're adults that there's always going to be a happy ending. Yeah? That everything is going to be okay. That even when your life's really rubbish, all you need to do is grab one of your friends around your house and start singing a song and everything's going to be all right. Yeah? That's sort of what Disney films teach us. And if we're honest, we kind of love happy endings. Who doesn't like happy endings? Right, we need to pray. Let's get around and pray for these people. Wow. No one wants to go to the cinema and spend their money and watch a film where at the end everybody dies and you're leaving thinking, wow, this is a little bit peak. Yeah? And if you do, again, get your youth leaders to pray for you. Now, can you imagine Aladdin if he never got to marry Jasmine, if he just stayed as a pauper living on the streets? Or can you imagine if Simba never went back to Pride Rock and Scar just carried on ruling and everybody died? Or imagine if Elsa never got to come back and restore things. It would be, their films just wouldn't be as good. We love happy endings. Now, I hate to come here and be the bearer of bad news in the 12 to 14s, but I can tell you that it simply isn't true. Life isn't always a happy ending. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes life is really, really difficult. Sometimes rubbish things happen and it feels like, actually, this isn't going the way that I kind of planned things. You know, I've grown up watching Disney films and you're supposed to get the Prince Charming or, or the Princess and everything's going to be okay and we all end up singing songs and dancing around. And actually, you probably know this even at your age. Life isn't really like that. 
That's not how things often tend to go. And sometimes it feels like someone else is almost writing the story for us. Like, man, if I wrote the story, this isn't how I would plan things out. It feels like, is there somebody else who's writing the story for me? Sometimes we can feel like that. There's things that have gone wrong for me already this week. This morning, I woke up nice and early. I wanted to get a shower. Who woke up early for a shower? Some of the young people at King's Church woke up too early. Five o'clock is not needed, okay? And they're making noise and they're saying, yo, 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 you're coming shower. You haven't got to shout that out at five o'clock in the morning. That's to my church over there. Um, I woke up nice and early to get myself a shower. It's obviously a bit slippery. And I was that guy that woke up and, and without realizing I tripped over one of them guy ropes. And um, you know, you do that thing when you trip over though. It was cool. You look up, you look around, there's no one there. And you think, yes, it's cool. And you just carry on walking. No one saw me, so I was fine. And um, it's all right if you stack it if no one sees you. Things have gone wrong for us. I had a young person literally come up to me. He was very upset, a good friend of mine, because he's just bought a pair of uh, brand new white Air Force Ones. Anyone know what Air Force Ones are? Yeah, they're very fresh. They're nice trainers. And he's brought them to New Day. My man, okay? And uh, last night, a bit of water got in his tent. And you can imagine the, the trainers are a bit wet and soggy. And, and he's, just, he's upset, man. I feel sorry for him. So a good friend of mine, Marley. We're going to pray for Marley at the end. He's going to be over there on the right-hand side. So get yourself down and we'll pray for Marley, the poor guy, man. Big up Marley. So um, now, these are some silly examples. But sometimes things really go wrong in our lives, don't they? Some of you are fitting, they're silly examples, but actually some things a little bit more serious really go wrong. Maybe your mum and dad separated. You didn't plan for that to happen. Maybe you're at a school and you've just joined or, or you've been at a school a couple of years and you're getting a little bit of stick, you're getting bullied. And you're thinking, right, I didn't, that's not how I planned things to go. That's kind of going wrong a little bit. Or, or maybe you and your friends, there's just some tension there. Things aren't kind of matching up. You have disagreements and certain people saying, oh, this man don't like you no more. And you're thinking, right, I didn't come to New Day to arrive on the first day to have certain people telling me this person said that about you and this person said this. And sometimes it can be like that. Sometimes we're failing at school. Some of you would have just done end-of-year exams. I'm an English teacher. I'm sorry about that. I'm an English teacher, and uh, I know that some of you probably would have got exams, and you're thinking, oh, I didn't get the, the level or the grades that I was expecting, and maybe I'm moving down a set. My mum and dad aren't happy about that. And, and we're disappointed that we're moving down or that we're not achieving at school the way maybe our mum and dad think that we should be achieving at school. Life is full of disappointment. And when we look at our story that we've been reading, Naomi's life, I tell you what, it's nothing like a Disney film. If you see a Disney film like that, you can write to Disney until they need to fix up. There's not a Disney film out there like that. It's, it's, it's desperate time for her. And Naomi needed to know this, and this is what you all need to know. This is what you need to learn. If there's one thing I said that you learned today is that God has a bigger plan for you than you can ever think or imagine. Even when times are difficult, even when your life seems like it's really rubbish, even when things are so hard, God has a plan for you, even if you do not know it. The next three or so days as we speak, God has a plan for you. And we will see in our story, as we keep reading over the next three days, that God had a plan for Naomi and for Ruth as well, that he was in control. Now, I can't stand here today and promise you that it's going to be a happy ending for you, whatever it is you're going through. And in life, you will find it difficult. I can't do that. But there's some things that I can say to you. I can say this. Regardless of what you go through, regardless of how you think about yourself, regardless of how your life shapes out, you have a God who loves you and who knows you and knows exactly what you're going through. 
The Bible says that God formed you in your mother's womb. So before you were even born, God knew you in your mum's womb and he forms you and he, he describes it that he holds you in the palm of his hand. And so although life won't always be happy, there is a God who knows exactly what you're going through, who understands and who loves you in the midst of all of it. There's a, a part in the Bible called Deuteronomy. Everyone say Deuteronomy. Now that was very quiet. I said, everybody say Deuteronomy. Good, that's better. Deuteronomy, there's a passage in Deuteronomy in, in chapter 31, verse 6. It's about a man called Joshua. And, and God gives Joshua a promise that is true for everybody who trusts and believes in God. This is a promise to all of us. And it says this, I promise that I will never leave you or forsake you. Everyone repeat after me. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's God's promise to you. And that's God's promise to you. He made you and he knows you're here at New Day this morning. He knows you might be thinking, man, I don't even know why I'm here. Somebody told me that New Day was live. It's not really at the minute. I'm not really feeling it. Or, or maybe you're here for the very first time. You, you've had a year in year seven. You've never been to New Day. This is your first time at New Day. And you're thinking, right, this is, I've been waiting to come for a few years. My older brother went and my, my older sister went. You know what? God knows you're here and you're here for a reason. Now, back to our story. We didn't read this, but the way the first chapter ends is the two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, Naomi says to them, listen girls, my life is rubbish, my life is bitter, go away. Yeah, I'm going back to Bethlehem, you used to stay here, get on with your life, go and find yourself a man. Orpah, who I think is a little bit of a snake, is like, okay, cool, thank you Naomi, and then she walks in her own way. A snake, if you don't know what it means, is someone who's a little bit snidey, like they're just out for themselves. Again, some more London lingo for you. Whereas Ruth... Ruth is like, you know what? You're my ride or die. I'm going to stay with you. You, you. I'm not leaving you. Your God is going to be my God. And your people back in Bethlehem, they're going to be my people. And I'm going to stick with you through thick or thin and we're going to go back together. It says that Ruth clung to her. And so Ruth and Naomi, they go back to Bethlehem. And there's a phrase in the Bible that describes them coming back. And I, I want to read this to you. It says, so Naomi returned to Moab. Sorry, returned to Bethlehem with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, and arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, I know many of you aren't farmers, so you don't know what a barley harvest is. Barley harvest, you remember at the start of our story, there was a famine in the land. A barley harvest means there was lots of food. They arrived back at the time when there is lots and lots of food all of a sudden there. It's the perfect time. There was bread and there was food. And in the Bible, quite often, it represents hope. In these peak times, in the desperate times for Naomi, they arrive back and there is a glimmer of hope. God has a plan. And we will start to see how that unfolds. If we think about it to the start of our story, everyone's dying, there's no food. Now they arrive back, they've got a good friendship together and there's food in their area. God is faithful. And even in the worst times, even when like Naomi, we feel bitter and we feel pain, God is faithful. I'm gonna, I want to end by saying this before we spend some time worshipping again together. In the moment when God seems furthest away from you, in those moments when you're sitting there thinking, Joe, you don't, you don't know what's going on. Yeah? In those moments, perhaps, maybe God is setting the stage. He's getting ready for a great rescue mission. Sometimes, being a Christian... Sometimes in life, you have to hold on in the darkness, knowing that there is a light that is dawning. Light is coming. The sun will rise again, even in your darkness. 
And even if this morning you feel far away from God, because I know many of you will. Many of you will feel like, man, I've not even really thought about God that much and now we're at New Day. Even if you feel far away, even if you feel like you do not know God, even if this is your first time at New Day, I'll say this to you. He is here and he knows you and he loves you and he has a plan for your life. You cannot escape it. Even if you don't want to believe it, it is true for you this morning. Even if you think, no, Joe, that's not me. No, it is you. I can tell you that. He's promised here in the Bible. He knows you, he loves you, and he has a plan for your life. And what I'm praying for and hoping is that this week, you'll start to see even more of that plan unfolding for your life. You'll start to see, actually, God has a plan for you. Maybe he'll start to reveal that to you as the week goes on. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to worship. Again, we're going to sing songs to God. And we're going to sing about how even when life is tough, even when your life is difficult, you can know this one thing. God has a plan for you. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that it is truth to us, that it speaks to us today in the same way that when it was written thousands of years ago. I thank you for the story we're reading and I thank you more than anything else that you have a plan for our lives. Every single person sitting in this room here today, you have a plan for them. You know who they are. You hold them in the palm of your hand. And I pray that we will be a generation, we will be a group that holds on to the faithfulness and the love of God, even in difficult times. And everyone in the 12 to 14 said, Amen. Amen.